and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to have Todd Gustafson. And Todd is the president of HP Federal and head of the US public sector at Hewlett Packard, a company I've always had a lot of respect for. And when I was in PricewaterhouseCoopers, we almost got acquired by HP. So my life might have been quite different had that happened. But I've really enjoyed the conversations that he and I have had in advance of this recording, and I'm so looking forward to it. So welcome, Todd. Jonathan, great to be with you today. Well, th- thank you. Thank you very much. We were talking about, um, I think I'll begin with your your family story, and then we'll talk about a couple of inspiring leaders. But we were talking about your your parents, who are both still alive. You and I are a, a similar age. I maybe have a, a year on you. But um, you're very blessed to have both your father alive, who's 83, and your mother, who's 76. Father sounds like an amazing kind of guy, an Orion um, P3 pilot. Uh, he was also a linesman and lost sight in one eye due to an accident. I mean, what a story and what what, uh, what special people to bring you up. How have they influenced the values that you have now and the leader you are today, Todd? You know, my, my parents had me when they were very young, right? If you think way back when, my mom was, uh, my mom was 17 years old. My father wow. was... Uh, well, he was a little bit older, uh, in his early twenties and they, I was the oldest child. Uh, and I was, uh, also, uh, fortunate to have both of my mom's, uh, parents alive, not my, uh, unfortunately not my father's parents. And, you know, it was a typical, uh, I would say American relationship, which was founded by, love right at its core right which i think is still fundamental today in terms of uh families and as importantly i would say my parents uh pushed me right particularly as a uh as an oldest uh the oldest of three i have a, a sister that is two years younger and a brother that's four years younger and i um and my parents did not have a lot of money growing up right we were uh, we never had, uh, until I got a lot older, a new car, right? We always had a used car. Uh, we had a, only one car for a long time. And my father uh, was a, a real Yankee, if you will. He saved and saved and saved. He was a hard worker. Uh, he provided for his family. And I would say both my parents were uh, were role models. My mom uh, started a, a employment agency when I was... Um, in my teenage years, and back then, a woman starting a business was uh, was a little bit unusual. If you think uh, back um, a couple of generations now, and so I had a good I had good role models, right? That gave me that foundational element at uh, at the home. Yeah, fa- fantastic to have uh, such exemplars uh, to you, and just the I don't know the normalness of saving and. Um, getting by with not very much. I mean, it's nice. Both our 
pilots of our parents were pilots and um that was a nice bond for me and and my father did his pilot flying training in america as well but um we also i remember uh, you were talking about your dad living in a in a trailer at one stage we as a far- family lived in a caravan because we were my parents also got married quite young and uh in those days the navy wouldn't let you have a, what they called a married quarter until you were a certain age i think you had to be 30 or something incredible and um so and and money was always tight for us as well. So I I think um, I think those values are important to us, and um, they they sort of stay with us now. Now here you are as as a president and in, in a key role and a, a head of U.S. public sector. Tell us a bit about the job and tell us a bit about why you love HP. I mean, you know, you you've got to be dedicated to that. Tell me a bit more about it. Well, this year it was a little bit of a milestone for me, uh, Jonathan, which was uh, which is kind of uh, awesome. Which was I celebrated my 35th year with the company. Wow, this Hewlett Packard company, and I didn't know what to expect when I joined the company. It was, you know, it was a formidable uh, U.S. brand that focused on more. Uh, for your audience, more what we would call data center or test and measurement in medical equipment. And one of the things that I discovered over the 35 years is our company has reinvented itself. It's almost uh, reinvented itself uh, every five to 10 years. And when we, when we think about our founders, Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard, who I was blessed to meet when uh, when I first joined the company, wow. were you know, almost a little bit you know, not nearly as successful, but mirror images a little bit of my father, right? In terms of their moral character, their work ethic, their innovation. And so there was an assimilation that I draw, I drew for me about my dad, right? And uh, and both of these, what I would say, giants in the industry. And there's really not a lot of companies, Jonathan, technology companies, other than IBM, another uh, esteemed brand, that have been around for over 80 years in mm. technology, right? Mm. And so as a result of that, I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of having what I would say is 12 different careers inside of HP over those 35 years. I've never had to uh, stay in a job and I've always been encouraged to take risks, uh, seek new opportunities. And so when I had the opportunity to start to lead public sector in the US, we uh, we have basically two, pardon me, three distinct uh, markets, our consumer market, our what we call a commercial market and our public market. And so we get to do so many great things with customers and emissions, whether it's helping uh, schools with digital education for their students, particularly underprivileged children, that technology is an enabler for them to change their life uh, trajectory or... It's working with our military or some of our civilian agencies. We get to do really great stuff with a lot of really great people. And I would say it's a little bit more for me a job than a job, right? It's a little bit rewarding for me to be able to have that impact with the technology that we provide. And so I, I have this philosophy, Jonathan, that I wake up every day in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and have a two or three minute pause. Mm. And I think about what it is I'm doing, what it is I'm going to do that day. And 
just a general personal reflection. And I do the same exact thing at night while I'm brushing my teeth before I, uh, before I call it a night. And I think that personal self-reflection is so important because if I find myself where I get to the point where this is not fun anymore, mm-hmm. then I know I need to call it quits. But I'm at the point where I still wake up every day. Look at this. Look at this conversation that we're having, Jonathan, right? Mm. Isn't this awesome, right? That we can yeah. have honest uh, person-to-person conversation about what, what leadership means, right? How do we uh, how do we make an impact in our lives, in our world, with our colleagues? So I get to do what I love. Mm. Well, I, I just think it comes across so powerfully how much uh you love your job and um and and i found that when we had our first chat it just you you clearly like people you really enjoy uh, whatever is thrown at you and and also that curiosity with learning and growth um i think is is just uh just admirable to see who were the um who is the sort of the, the people, the role models for you that if, if you pick out a couple of inspiring leaders who have shaped you uh, or who you, you're inspired by, still they might be sort of CEO type people. Who, who would the ones be that you, you'd like to call out who are still alive and still working? Well, the first one's not alive anymore, but let me tell you a little bit about how this happened. Boy Scouts started in the UK, uh, as you uh, as you may know, and in my community in uh, the state of Rhode Island where I grew up, scouting was a popular activity for uh, for young boys, and my parents encouraged me to uh, to join Scouts, and I love scouting. I love the outdoors. I love fishing and hiking and uh, sitting by a campfire and the camaraderie with uh, with other. Uh, young boys my age in terms of uh, participating in all these activities and archery and riflery and leather making and all these great kind of things. And we had the opportunity to go to a camp in Rhode Island called Camp Yagu. And this was a Boy Scout camp that's been around for a long time. I'm actually on the the board of trustees for, for the Rhode Island Scouts. And I discovered that I loved even little bits of leadership, right? Demonstrating that opportunity to have an influence. And there was a gentleman by the name of Sal. And I cannot remember Sal's last name, but Sal encouraged me to stick with it. At a time when sometimes Boy Scouts, particularly in your teenage years, was considered to be less cool, that it was uh, there was a challenging influence. And he, he encouraged me to stick with it, uh, and I became an Eagle Scout. So an Eagle Scout is the uh, uh, the topmost uh, honors uh, bestowed upon scout in scouting. And I have to tell you that all those leadership lessons I learned from from Sal around integrity and uh, and transparency and hard work are still something I think about today. And it's always remarkable to me how many other Eagle Scouts I bump into that share those fundamental and foundational uh, characters that still are part of my, part of who I am and what I'm about. So Sal is one, not with us, but the one that, uh, uh, that I had the opportunity to work with is Meg Whitman. 
And some of you know may may know Meg. Uh, she was uh, one of the original leaders of eBay. Uh, she is now the ambassador to Kenya. She was the uh, CEO of Hewlett Packard Company. And Meg had a, just a, a unique. First, she was incredibly accomplished. Uh, she was uh, very well educated at Princeton, uh, and she. Um, she inspired you to do your best and she set high expectations. And I, what I would say is she gave you the room and the rope to be successful. Mm. But with that room and rope came high expectations. And if you delivered against those expectations, you continue to get more room and rope. And so she was, and she had an expression, Jonathan, that I loved, which was run to the fire. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that was her expression or somebody else's expression that she picked up, but it still sticks with me today, which is too many people kind of look the other way when there's an issue. Think about it, whether it's in life, right? There's some something happening in our community or something happening at work. And how many people are observers and how many people are doers or will run to the fire? And I always found that Running to the fire matters, right? It's uh, it's a core of leadership. And so I think about that a lot. I think about her a lot. And I, I haven't seen Meg in a year now. We were at a dinner in uh, New York City uh, during one of her uh, back and forths to, uh, to Africa. But she's a remarkable leader. Well, well, we need to get her on as your guest. Let's see if we get, see if you can track her down. Okay. Because I think she's got a, a fabulous story to share. And I do love the comment about run to the fire. Um, I, I was uh, once coaching a guy who was part of one of the um, uh, the mobile phone companies. And he was, he was in Japan when they had the earthquake, which caused the problem with the nuclear reactor and all the, all the disasters that happened. And he literally believed in that, running to the fire. So when everybody else was streaming away from the earthquake, he was driving towards it because he was going to go and sort out some of the critical problems to keep communications for the emergency services going. And, and of course, with my military background, it's very much the same. And, and then I was brought up as a young man. Do you ever remember Red Adair, who capped oil wells? So there was this guy, he was a real hard-nosed Texan. And, and whenever there was an oil fire around the world, they'd call for Red Adair. And Red would go in there and and he would come and he was covered in oil and, you know, half burnt. And he'd put a, a big cap on it and then screw this thing on. And he'd stop the fire and stop the loss of oil and all the pollution that goes on. The other thing I thought of, I love your um, story of standing in front of the mirror and looking in, at yourself in the mirror and say, look, you know, how are you going to show up today? What have you got to do today? And there's a poem, which I'd love you to get and stick by your mirrors by Dale Wimbro. And it's called The Man in the Mirror. Uh, the Man in the Mirror. It's a sort of Yorkshire, a, a Yorkshire English kind of story yeah. about, about looking at the man in the mirror and whether you can live up to the qualities that you espouse. Um, but yeah, The Man in the Mirror by Dale Wimbro, uh, written some years ago. But, but get it and stick it by your mirror and, and it'll, it'll just, just remind you to be true to yourself. Um, that's fantastic. And if you were to pick another person that you would like to have as your guest that you you think is really inspiring, Todd, who who might you pick? 
there was a gentleman by the name of Jim Zafferana. And Jim and I worked together for mm, directly 10 years, indirectly for 25. Jim lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. Jim has seven or eight children with his wife, Linda. And he is the poster child for an amazing father. Mm. The poster child for actually him and his wife, Linda, are the poster child for amazing parents. And as you might imagine, there's two sides to Jim, the family side and the work side. And uh, Jim ret has retired from HP. And he, the family side, as you might imagine, with a big family, it has its ups and its downs. And he had some challenging uh, times with his children from a health perspective. And I always admired how he prioritized life over work. And sometimes some of us can get that compass headed in the wrong direction or it's pointing in the wrong direction. We lose sight of what our North Star is. And I'll digress by telling you just a story and then I'll get back to Jim if I can. My father and I every year drive, uh, we will uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact, to Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And my both my grandmother and grandfather are buried in Pawtucket. And it was about maybe at this point, 10 years ago, Jonathan, that I picked up my dad. It was a cold day, cold December day. And we drove to Rhode Island with two wreaths, uh, pardon me, one wreath uh, to put on our uh, grandparents' gravestone. And we went there and it was uh, it was snowing, actually. It was cold. I wasn't dressed appropriately. And we put the wreath in um, and we paid our respects. And I was ready to get going because it was uh, it was fairly cold. And my dad kept me there and he said, Todd, do you, do, you, do you recognize anything on these gravestones that are unique? And I said, I don't know. This went on, Jonathan, for almost 15 minutes to the point where I was almost a little bit annoyed because I'm like, all right, dad, tell me, tell me what you're trying to tell me. And he said, you notice that not one of these gravestones says where the person worked. It only talks about how long they lived, their spouse, their children. In some cases that you might see a reference to a sports team that they loved, whether it was, you know, a baseball or football team, but it didn't say where it worked, where they worked. And he said, you and I just spent the last two hours in the car. You were on the phone with work the entire time. We didn't have any time together. And he's like, make sure you keep it in check. Wow. God. That and, really gets me. So that really gets me. And so I think about that a lot now, right? Ever since mm -hmm. that time yeah. where my work-life balance meter got off kilter, if that makes sense. Oh, you know, by the way, I think if your work-life balance gets off kilter, it impacts your relationship with your colleagues, uh, your partners, potentially your customers. And Jim Zaffirano was that guy that was the epitome of great work-life balance. When he was in the work mode, he was the best. He had humor and integrity and hard work and creativity and fun uh, at work. And then when he was at home, he was all in with the family. Yeah, and so 
those are, um, you know, there's so many, you know, of our uh, people we bump into every day. But life's not easy, right? No one gives us the easy pass on life. Anyone who thinks that is uh, not living in reality. And Jim was, um, I'm fortunate to talk to Jim. We talk at least once a month. He's been retired for HP for almost uh, five years. And one of the things that we did, which was the most fun that I can tell you about, I'm not sure your audience will uh, find it, but I recollect we're in a business that uh, is measured in a lot of ways on revenue and profitability, but also market share. And we're in one business where our market share was fairly challenged and we had a major competitor uh, that was almost three times the size of us. And Jim and I made a pact that in four years, we're going to pass those other folks. We're going to find a way. And this was the days when we were in an office and we um, we uh, created a, a large e-size uh, print of a mountain and we we put where we wanted to get to and every quarter we would measure where we're at and he had one behind his desk i had one behind my desk so it was a constant reminder of where we're going to go and we basically flipped uh flipped our roles in the industry in terms of being the laggard the leader and vice versa with our competitor and it was one of the um and we had so much fun getting there and there was a um an ACDC song, if you know ACDC. I remember ACDC well. And we started, uh, there's a song called It's a Long Way to the Top. And whenever I need to get picked up and I uh, turn on my iTunes, that's my motivational song. It's a long way to the top. And so that's what inspired me about Jim. That is so lovely. I'm just making a note of that. It's a long way to the top, ACDC. Um, and actually, it, it it really moved me. I had a bit of a tear in my eyes. You were telling the story about the graveside and the moment that you were in the car with your dad. You had that special time to be with him, but you weren't with him. You were somewhere else. And on gravestones, there's always sort of born like me, 1962-2024, who knows? But But between those two dates is the dash. And what happens in the dash is really what's important. It's yeah. all about the yeah. dash, but make sure you don't dash. That that you when you have that moment to be with your father, you're with your father. You know when you're with them, be with them. And and I, as I discussed with you, but some listening may not know, I was two and a half when my father was killed, saving the life of another pilot, and and he died because of a faulty, badly manufactured aircraft. The turbine blade cut through the fuel line, caused the fire. He got Commander Bill White out, and uh, he died in the process, a bit like Goose in Top Gun, where he was sent into the tailpiece through a misfiring ejector seat. What was your father's name? Paul. Paul. Oh. Paul. Commander. Do you know my father's name? No. Paul. Wow. Now, there are some wonderful coincidences, and they're Paul. meant to be. So we both have fathers called Paul, and... I would give anything, any money I had, any possessions I had, I'd be down into one suitcase if I could just spend a day in the car talking to Paul. And I can't, but you can. And whoever's listening, just remember that, to be with the people you're with when you're with them, when they are alive. 
And, and, I, and the other day I did an exercise, which I encourage others to do, which is to think of someone you love dearly and what you'd say about them at their funeral. Write it all out, how much they mattered to you, how, how, how special they were, their qualities, whatever it is. But then tell them now. Don't wait till they're dead. And we often don't have those conversations. So I told my wife how much she meant to me, Lee. And it was it was really special to me. And I, I wish um, I wish you and I wish others to have the real conversations before it's too late, before they're dead. Totally. Uh, I put up my folks Christmas tree last night. Uh, they uh, as they get a little bit older, it gets harder. But just all those little special moments because life's fleeting sometimes. Oh, all too fleeting. All too fleeting. And it's lovely for those listening. You won't see. But those watching on YouTube, Todd has this amazing sort of Christmas backdrop with little trees and gnomes and uh, Christmas decorations. Uh, and it's like a German Christmas market. And behind that, it goes out into his garden, which is just full of trees and a beautiful backdrop. So we're feeling very Christmassy at the moment. Um, Todd, t- talking about experiences in life that, that shape us, what was a what was the darkest moment for you and what did it teach you? I um, went to University of Rhode Island for my freshman year in college. And after that, I worked on a, in the summertime, I uh, lived uh, at my grandparents' home in Narragansett, uh, Rhode Island. And decided to work on an offshore lobster boat. And so uh, if you think about uh, lobster boats, you have, uh, you know, inshore, which is day boats, basically, and offshore where we would go out for uh, for five days. And I um, I had a great summer working a lobster boat. I loved the ocean. I loved the water. I loved every aspect of it. And I said to my folks, I'm not going to go back to school uh, next year. I think... I'd like to uh, continue this and maybe I'll start my own boat or boats. And this is something that I could see myself doing and loving. And my parents agreed. And I spent the next year uh, working on a uh, offshore lobster boat. And it was hard and it, it was cold and there's nothing like being doing working virtually every two hours for four days in a row, being wet and being cold and in the dark. Nothing teaches character until the point where I had a, um, I had an accident where I was dragged overboard uh, in March, which was still the winter and um, my neck of the woods. And it caused me to rethink uh, as I was, uh, my waders were filling up with water, um, what I was going to go do. And at that point I decided that I was not going to do this anymore. There was too many people, unfortunately in the industry, there was things that were just anti-Todd drugs, alcohol, um, you know, uh, unsavory, uh, individuals in some cases. So it didn't meet my moral compass if that makes sense and i went back to school and i went back to school with a renewed vigor that and i changed schools uh to a university called bryant university 
that I still do a lot with today. And it just kind of changed what happened in my life. So sometimes it's important to have those life experiences where, and so it, um, it gave me a, a second chance at doing something different. And, and, uh, and it's been a fun ride since then. Well, that's a, it's a lovely segue and, and what a story. But a lovely segue to, we, we did some research, my wife and I, about what makes high-performing leaders and teams. And we came up with these eight principles of the Inspiring Leadership Compass, which you can see on our website, jonathanperks.com. But MQ is the, the true north, the, the, moral, uh, the moral north compass. And you talked about integrity and that there were things going on there with the drugs and unsavory behavior and the alcohol that you didn't fit with you. So I'm interested in your lesson and your advice to those listening about what did you learn when you let your strong values slip and how did you bring yourself back? I'm not sure if I ever let them slip, but I, I looked the other way when I shouldn't have looked the other way uh, is the way I would uh, potentially characterize it. And you know, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a less than perfect individual, but what I would say is there are some things that are core to me that uh, that matter. And I know I've mentioned this word a couple times because I think it's so important, particularly whether you're an, a parent, right? You're a uh, your son or whatever you might be. Is honesty, integrity um, are just core of what you do, and and if you can do that, all good things come from that, right? And if anything bad comes from that, at least you can say, I did it the right way, right? Um, and I can live with that. So I just, that's kind of, that would be my impression, Jonathan, yeah. right? Yeah. And I- we, you know, at HP, not that I want to bring up uh, HP too much necessarily, but the um, we use this uh, expression, which is the, uh, you know, the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And what you do and how you do it and what you say was on the front page of the journal. What what would others think? Yeah. And I think about that as a acid test, if you will, on a lot of things that I might do or our teams might do. And I think having that visual representation of uh, of how you do things helps people make the right decision. I think that's such a such a good one. And I, I I have another build on that, which is that they're making a video which can also hear your thoughts. And they they have a cinema and they invite all your friends and family to the cinema and they put on your video of some of those moments when no one else was around. Yeah. But you behaved in certain ways and had certain thoughts. Would you be happy with that? And and it it's you know, I know looking back over my life, there's moments when I'm embarrassed about what I've done or what I said or thought or been very judgmental. And, and now I work not so hard. It, it, it's it's something that comes more authentically now because I choose not to be in that certain way or certainly putting myself in any situations where I would be tempted by situations where I don't think my integrity, my father, uh, my long dead father and my mother and my wife and my children would be proud to see how I behaved. I think it, it is it is really important. Sometimes, Jonathan, I would also just add on to that, which is, you know, sometimes people think that the uh, the shortest and best path between A and B is a straight line. It's not always that way, right? And 
sometimes you have to uh, sometimes you have, you have to zigzag uh, in order to achieve your goals, and the straight line is not always the best way. Yeah, that, that's great advice as well for our children. I, I had a lovely conversation with one of my daughters the other day. Um, she's now almost thirty, and it was lovely to be able to listen a lot, get her to talk, and get her to work things out, but also put things in context because quite often they get quite wrapped up in their life and their career and their life choices. But a bit back to you with your dad in the car and what really matters, uh, it is family at the end of the day. And people don't start talking about different roles that you had in Hewlett-Packard or in my time when I was in IBM or in the army. They do talk about your qualities as a person and what you meant to them as a family member. Um, Taking yourself back to when you were just leaving school, age 16 to 18, if you were to meet the young Todd, what, what advice would you give yourself, which is very relevant to, to people at this stage now, about one thing that matters and one thing that really is not at all important? I, I would say maybe there's two things, which is one and all of us can interpret this differently. I looked at university as more a fun time than a growth time. And I wish I had done that just a little bit more balanced, which was have fun, but also uh, use it as growth. And, and in parallel with that, Jonathan, I would also say that in my time I graduated university till I was married at 30, I did the same, a, li a little bit the same thing, right? I worked at HP, but we had fun. It was more, a little bit less mature in hindsight than I would have been. And I wish I had managed my career better than in those eight years out of uh, university in hindsight. And it's interesting that without me, in any way, we have three children, 26, 24, and 22. In no way, I don't think I did any coaching on this topic, but I look at our children and they're not serious, but they take their careers a little bit more serious right now in their early formidable days. And so they've either overheard me or learned it in their own, um, in their own learnings. But I would tell you when I think about if I pivot just for a second here, Jonathan, for our children, the most important thing that matters to my wife and I is unconditional love, as you might expect, and education. Yeah. And we tried to give our children the best possible education without forcing it down their throats, if you will, right? Painting the picture as opposed to telling them the picture, right? And... So those are the things, I'm not sure that uh, went you where you wanted to go, but that's just who I am and what I was about and what I learned. And so don't waste time because all of a sudden you'll be, uh, Jonathan, where you, are, you or I are at, right? Which is a different part of our lives and take advantage of every moment that you have in this uh, lovely place. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's so true. We don't know how long we've got left. And I think um, as I studied the Stoics, I'm a Stoic philosopher, uh, just amateur, but it, it's this important thing about having a good life and a good death and 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 to prepare for your death during your life. And, and so it's not such a big surprise. I've seen too many people die. And my, my, my middle brother, David, 
um, suddenly died a couple of years ago within 10 weeks of metastatic cancer. And it, it was just all very quick. And he had other plans of things he would do. And it just, it's all gone. I mean, he never had the chance to do that. So I, I feel I, I'm already living bonus time. So, you know, my father was 33 when he was killed. I'm now almost 62. I'm having a ball. And I'm really grateful for what I have. And I think that's a key thing. We're often chasing success, getting what we want. But actually, happiness is wanting what you already have. And I think we don't appreciate enough what we already have. I'm very blessed in the life and the family I have. And I and I enjoy that. And, and it comes on to another theme in, in the research we did, which is the second element around the campus. Purpose quotient, PQ, meaning and purpose. What what uh, gives your life meaning and purpose, Doug? Purpose would be, I want to provide for our family. I want to, uh, uh, that's number one. Two, I, I wish I had given back to my community more when I was younger, right? I found that when I was in my late 40s and early 50s, that became a more prevalent part of who I am and what I'm about, but I wish I had done a little bit more balance in my early, uh, early years. Now I did the typical dad stuff, which was coach teams and participated in community that way. But that was more of adjacency to our children, right. Than altruistic, uh, approaches. And so that's, um, that's number one, right. Being a, and by the way, giving back, I think is more relevant to, or relegated to time than money. Right. Anybody can give money. Uh, time is the most valuable commodity that we all have. And so to find that time, whether it's um, in my community or in uh, scouting or in my uh, university that I attended, I, um, I try to find that time. The other thing on time in my uh, my uh, EA would tell you this is that I try to block off at least six hours a week for mentorship. And so at any given time, I'll have uh, half a dozen to eight individuals that I'll be mentoring. And and I also, by the way, have a mentor in the military, an admiral in the military myself. And how much, how, how important it is to put your phone down, uh, put down distractions and have a conversation with someone that wants to further their life and their career and spend that time to give back and give advice and conversation and provide the banter that goes back and forth, I find is uh, is super important. I, I love all that you shared there. And particularly, I was, was caught by this idea of mentoring. And uh, yeah, I, I've always throughout my life looked for good mentors. Perhaps it's sort of trying to replace the missing father. But I had people like General the Lord Dannett as a commanding officer and very much a mentor for me. But also John Griffin and John Stokoe, who who were great role models to me, and I would ask their advice in my career as I was going along, and just how to approach things. But uh, it was lovely the scouting connection. I, I also was I was a chief scout in those days. I don't think we had eagles in the UK, but but scouting had a huge positive impact on me with values and the way uh, we show up. But the other thing is an interesting aspect of our neuroscience of our brain. That, that we do find as we get into our 50s and our 60s and beyond, that we become more pro-social. The brain actually adjusts. And, and it's not surprising that you 
look back and you wondered why when you were younger you didn't do more for your community when it, it waited till it's a certain stage of your life in your 50s that you did more of that that's quite normal it's when they you start to realize that this isn't forever and 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 it's time to give back it's time to mentor and one of the things why i want to grow old disgracefully and have my health span match my lifespan uh rather than sadly seeing my late mother-in-law who's health span ended a lot long before her lifespan and mm. and so therefore the last years of her life were pretty painful with heart disease lung disease cancer alzheimer's um is so that i can mentor and coach i mean i want to be doing this kind of work and podcasting when i'm in my 70s and who knows when i'm in my 80s the the oldest uh the oldest uh old old, old chap giving his podcast going um, because it's about giving back, and that's why I want health. But let's switch on to the, the third one, which is the health quotient. Um, you are wearing a, a black ring, which is an aura ring. We're not uh, doing an advert for aura, but there you are. You're wearing your aura ring, which I used to have for about three years, and you've got your Apple Watch. And I've got my Apple Watch, and I've got my Whoop strap, which is a, another device, wearable technology, which, you know, who would have thought that our fathers in their 60s would be wearing anything which would tell them, apart from their chronograph uh, as a naval pilot, would tell them what the time was. And or, or my father's on my father's um, aircraft, he said, "There I was, so low above the wave, there was nothing on the clock but the maker's name." And you know they were so low, skimming across the waves, uh, as your dad was out there hunting for Russian submarines. Um, but but. What's your tip to people about health and well-being, uh, mental health and physical health? So one, I don't do enough of it personally. I'm a, a little bit uh, work, work, work. But my wife's best friend, or one of her best friends, uh, Andrea, when I was, uh, we were, uh, when I was in my 30s, um, she uh, was uh, had no family. She was the only uh, remaining family member, and she went into uh, she went to the hospital for outpatient surgery. And I was picking her up, and at Mass General Hospital in Boston. And I can remember being, you know, that she was expected to be picked up at three o'clock, and I was outside waiting. And I can remember being annoyed that it was three o'clock, three fifteen, three thirty, four o'clock, five o'clock can't get a hold of her. And where is Andrea? Why is she making, making me wait so long? And, and coming to find out almost uh, at six o'clock that she was being held over, uh, held over um, because they discovered uh, that she had an advanced case of ovarian cancer. Wow. Which in many cases, unfortunately, and science has definitely improved, but 30 plus years ago, it was, uh, or so it was, uh, a much more serious, uh, it still is very serious, uh, diagnosis and Andrea died, um, within, uh, the year, uh, she wow. passed away very young, uh, beautiful young lady. And, uh, we, um, and I was touched in our community by something called the, uh, pan mass challenge. And this was a uh, organization that started a number of years ago to raise money for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in uh, Massachusetts, and which is a uh, leading uh, cancer research uh, in the world. In the, um, 
And every year they do a 200 mile bike ride or race, depending upon who is, uh, who is participating in this. And so now 16 years ago, I decided to, uh, to be part of that. An interesting part of it is that you have to, uh, you have to raise a minimum. Like this year, it was $6,700. And you have to put your credit card down on it. And if you don't raise the $6,700, they bill you. And this year, the organization in two days, two-day, 200-mile ride from Sturbridge, Massachusetts to the tip of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and in a town called Provincetown, and they raised $72 million this year. Wow. Wow. Which is a big, big number. And what that came for me is, and the reason I'm telling you this long story, one, I've been able to raise um, uh, over $125,000 over the years, which I'm proud of with, uh, with my family. And our son, Jack, started riding with me six years ago. And I was so proud to have our daughter tell me only just a few weeks ago, Dad, I'm going to ride this year, too. Wow. You're in the 20s. And so part of the reason I tell you that story is sometimes exercise is good. Going by, I love the fact that my wife goes out for two hours every day for a walk, rain, snow, uh, sunshine. And... But I like the fact of having a goal to, to achieve, Jonathan, and having that alignment in terms of mission with helping others. So for me, that's where the connection exercise is. And then on the, um, on the mental health side, I would say I'm a little bit less experienced there because the way that I'm wired is glass half full. That's who I am. That's what I'm about, right? That's how I conduct myself. And so... But if you're not happy and you don't like what you're doing, particularly at work, life is way too short. You got to pivot. You got to go find something else. You got to go find a mentor or, or someone that can help you get through it. Because uh, if you don't wake up every day happy and love what you do or love what you're going to go do, um, make a change. It's yeah. again way too short. Such, such sensible wisdom and let's carry on on that theme todd we'll do a quick fire because we've only got a, a few minutes left but i just love your wisdom and experience uh eq next emotional and social intelligence what's your top tip uh that you use about listening well to other people because you are a good listener what's the tip you'd give people take a breather when somebody asks you a question doesn't require an immediate nanosecond response Think about your audience. Think about someone other than yourself. Be real. And that life balance between IQ and EQ is where the intersection of great things happen. Uh, uh, and I would say that a little bit happens based upon life experiences, right? You become a little bit more mature in your, uh, your approach. But... I started early in my career, particularly as a leader, as a tell, as opposed to show. And I feel like my EQ got better when I pivoted to the show versus tell. Yeah, lovely. Um, the next one um, for your top tip is um, what we call CQ, collaborative, cognitive, cultural intelligence. 
this diversity, equality, inclusion. Um, so what's your advice to people how to get on with people who are very different from them? I think it's the best thing you can possibly do is to surround yourself with people that are different than you. Hmm. Guess why? One, life is surrounded by different people, right? We have different experiences, different backgrounds, different cultures, different genders, different religions, you name it, right? We all have different experiences. But if you looked at my staff, it has great uh, racial balance. It has great gender balance. It has great age balance. And I love the fact when somebody will tell me and I embrace somebody telling me, maybe there's a different way to do this. Because I can be certainly headstrong in terms of what do I want to accomplish, but I find myself listening more than ever. Yeah. Great. God gave us two ears and one mouth, Jonathan. Take advantage of them in that order. Yeah. Good sound advice. Lovely. Love that one. Resilience, I'll cue the next one. Um, how would you advise people to pick themselves up in times of adversity? There is, I faced, I feel like I face diversity sometimes every day, but in life you face uh, other adversity is find, just find a way, right? Even little, uh, even little, what I would say, sprinkles of um, nothing, like just think about, like sometimes you would think maybe losing my job would be a, um, defining moment in your life, right? I, 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 this will sound corny, but for every door that closes, I'm a believer that a window opens. And think about the, not necessarily always about the now, but the future, right? See as an opportunity as opposed to a roadblock. Yeah. I know it might be easy sometimes to say, but again, I go back to that glass half full. If you think the glass is half empty, that's true. If you think the glass is half full, that's true as well. It's all in your perspective. Yeah. And your attitude does define your altitude. It's, 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 it's not the fact that you have a problem. It's how you, how you handle it. That leads on nicely to brand, reputation, image, and impact. BQ, as we call it, um, brand quotient. Um, you've had 360 over the years, um, and certainly HP is big into that. How would you advise people to learn from getting 360, which might not be exactly what they like to hear, but they've been given some 360 feedback. How would you advise them to handle it? I was in my late 20s, Jonathan, and my manager at the time, Newt, Newton, uh, gave me, said, hey, it might be a good idea for you to do a 360. And I said, actually, Jonathan, I'm going to step back for a second. One of the first things we did at HP back before we had digital recorders was we would record people doing a presentation and then play that back for them in a teaching element. I remember my very first time looking at myself, giving a presentation, wondering who that was on the tape. Cause I didn't think it was me. It was me, but it didn't reflect what I thought I was about. And having that, uh, mirror reflection to your point, the man in the mirror, if you will, I think was the uh, the book you shared with me was powerful. But more powerful was Newt asked me to do a 360. And I had about 20 individuals 
you know, boss, bosses, boss, peers, uh, colleagues provide advice. And then it took about uh, three or four weeks and you get the report back from a company that does this for their day job. And I remember calling Newt and saying to Newt, like it's all coded like by numbers. It didn't have your name on it to protect uh, from a privacy standpoint. I remember calling Newt saying, like, Newt, I think you made a mistake. You gave me somebody else's uh, 360. I remember it was like it was yesterday. And he's like, oh, no, that's uh, that's yours. And there's, there's a reason why I wanted you to do the 360. And how you score yourself versus how others scored you at that time. I remember Jonathan being horrified, <laughs> horrified at how great I thought I was and uh, how others didn't think so highly of my uh, contributions. And so I do a 360 every two years, not because I'm told to, but I want to. And I asked my team to do it. But there's a colleague in my team, uh, her name is Melinda. And I we just talking to her about this this week while I was in Austin, about your brand. It means everything. It can be good. It can be bad. And you can change it, by the way. It doesn't always have to be the way it is. Think about, you know, big company brands, never mind your personal brand. But I think your brand at its core, this is maybe the third time I brought it up or the fourth time, it has to be integrity, mm -hmm. right? It, that has to be the foundation of what you do in terms of your brand. Trust, good communicator, a regular communicator, all the things that um, when you think about great leadership, uh, whether it's in our we're lacking it a little bit in our country right now, but uh, usually our political leaders have um, that uh, that brand. It matters. By the way, yeah. it matters. Yeah, so true. So true. Great. And think about Great. your children, right, Jonathan? Right? Do they want a father that they kind of go like, mm -hmm. or do they want when they go, I want to bring my um, boyfriend and girlfriend home to meet? Yeah. Yeah. No. Great wisdom. Great wisdom. The final of the eight, before we go into teams and the favorite book and your top tip is legacy. How would you give advice to someone to work out what they want their legacy to be? Does, uh, the first thing I would say is, um, if you were to write your obituary, what would you want it to say? Now, as morbid as that sounds, I think it's an honest reflection of, would you be happy with it? And I would tell you that while I've had a great career and I work for a great company with great people, the things that matter most to me are all family, all family oriented and, uh, and certainly community along with that, but primarily, uh, primarily fam family. And so that's how I would, um, just be honest with yourself, man in the mirror. Yeah, I will. I will remember the man in the mirror um, action you take. I love it. Executive teams, when you've uh, had a team that's a little toxic that you've inherited or uh, that you're working with, what's your advice if there's a single action that someone can take to turn around a toxic team? Face the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we I use this expression, put the moose on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure <laughs> if you've heard of that before. I have, yeah. American term or I actually learned it from a Canadian. Um, so perhaps it's a Canadian term. It's uh, a Canadian like, term, it is, yeah. Uh put the moose on the table. Like let's say let's not kid ourselves, right? If we've got a toxic environment, let's talk about it. We are about to embark next Monday in our company on something we call annual review cycle arc. And I like to do it twice a year, even though the company asks us to do it just once a year. And it's an, it's a real ability that I spend a lot of time on in preparation for my team. I have 17 direct reports and not only do I give them the written uh, part of that uh, feedback, um, but I spend a lot of time on the what and the how, what they've done and how they've done it. And that is, um, and if back to your toxicity, that's where I think you can start talking about the what and the how. And if, uh, if success is at the cost of a lot of broken glass or a big wake behind you, then it's really not success. It's, it's, it likely will be very short lived success. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. But 17 people, that's a lot. Uh, you clearly yeah, love you, people. Really and, and I would challenge you that 17 is a lot. It is. Um, but I, you know, one of the things I did was I was talking to one of the, uh, my uh, members of the team, Tom, last night. And whenever I have a free moment, I'm in the car or something, I'll go and we talked Tom and I talked about his daughter who is hoping to get into uh, some universities. She's a senior and, uh, and his son, Asher, who's playing lacrosse. I try to find those moments where the conversation isn't about work, Jonathan, right? It's about life and those kind of things. And I, I feel like that emotional connection uh, makes it all worthwhile, right? Oh, yeah. That, that oh, yeah. The right balance. Uh, and with you, clearly, you really care about people. So you're not the kind of person that wants to just have three direct reports. You, you, you'll be mentoring a whole load more. So I know you're, you're your own worst enemy. You'll give yourself an extra <laughs> workload. Um, favorite book, I think you said, was The HP Way. Do you want to tell us why The HP Way is worth reading? Yeah, let me get it for you. Okay. I have it close by. And it's not because we were going to do this call. It's uh, it's always in my office. And when when you look at this picture, you have Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard that are on the uh, on the cover of the book. And these were two young Stanford engineers, Stanford University engineers that had a dream, and they developed a product called the Audio Oscilloscope that their very first customer and our very oldest customer uh, to Walt Disney. And what was most, uh, why I like this book the most is that it's about life lessons. It's not about business lessons per se, but every one of those life lessons is, uh, is so relevant to, um, to how to conduct yourself. And so simple little things that are that they did 84 years ago around sustainability and uh, diversity and integrity and all those kind of things that at that point diversity like hiring a diverse workforce 80 years ago that was highly unusual um 
and we've been doing it forever, right? Or sustainability. The uh, the Hewlett and the Packard Foundations are both one of the largest landowners in the U.S., and they own this land to keep it pristine as it was, right? So it's uh, for future generations. So they did all the right things, and that compass uh, really helps me out. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to listening to the audio version, uh, okay. which I, I hope there is one. Um, so we're going to end uh, now, Todd, with you introducing your name, uh, where you work, what you do, um, and your top leadership, two-minute top leadership tips. So, Todd, over to you. Thank you, Jonathan. I really enjoyed being with you today, and this time has flown by. My name is Todd Gustafson. I work for HP Incorporated, uh, based in Palo Alto, California. I, myself, am based in Boston, Massachusetts. I have been with the company for 35 years, and I get to do what I love every single day. Uh, we get to work with the best customers and partners and colleagues in the world. And so it's uh, if you can see my face or hear the inflection of my voice, you can tell that it's a great gig and it's been a great gig for a uh, really long time. So my two bits of advice uh, from a leadership standpoint is, let me start with, I think communication is incredibly important. And I would tell you that I don't think I'm an over communicator, uh, but I communicate a lot. And I communicate in a number of different venues. Uh, I communicate, I always, right? We're in a video environment world now. I always turn my camera on. You and I would never go to a meeting with a bag over our head, uh, much like having your camera off in a video session. So one, communicate in multiple venues, written, spoken, video, and as importantly, socially, right? Find a way, whether it's in LinkedIn or other uh, business tools that uh, might be appropriate for you or your industry to, uh, to go do that. So communication is one. Parallel to communication is listen, all right? Don't be afraid to ask for feedback. It's a gift. And you may not always like the feedback, but I prevented myself from making some really bad decisions because I ask a lot of questions. Ask, ask, ask. And then the last one, if I could add three, is integrity in everything that you do. Everything. Never compromise. Great advice. Todd, it's been an absolute joy having you on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. Your enthusiasm, your positivity, and your wisdom is invaluable to us all in 125 countries around the world as people listen to that. So thank you very much for being with us. It's been a real treat. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and thank you 
for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.